How many of you have ever known what it is to feel desperate, desperate, desperate? Webster defines desperate in this way, having lost hope, moved by despair or the utter loss of hope. Now, we've been spending these last several weeks on the subject of hope. Now may the God of hope, say this with me if you can without looking at your Bible. Let's see if we're getting it down. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope and the meaning of the word hope Different than just the word for wish or desire, though hope has in it a wish or desire. But what sets hope apart is that hope carries with it the expectation that somehow, someway, someday, what I've been desiring or wishing for is going to happen. That's the word that is attached to God. Now may the God of hope, the God who understands what it is to have a desire, what it is to have a wish working in your heart, but who also has the ability and the power, the wisdom and the strength to bring about, to cause to happen, to bring to accomplishment that which we've been wishing for and desiring. And he's called the God of hope. So he knows how to bury hope in your chest. He knows how to put specific desires with a specific kind of, and at times all-consuming anticipation, I'm not crazy. This is going to happen. What I have been wishing for and hoping for, the Lord is going to somehow, someway bring it into reality. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Okay, but so when you lose that, when your life becomes shadowed by the loss of hope. It's a devastating place to be. And I want us to spend some time this morning specifically on that part of hope. Hope, hope for the desperate. Hope for the desperate. Hope for ones who have experienced, or maybe right in the middle of what's going on in your life right now, there's a part of your life, there's a category of your life where you've lost hope. Desperate, desperate, desperate. Lord, I ask you to open your word to us. I ask you, Lord, by your spirit to be the teacher. Somehow get this Get this preacher out of the way and, and let you by your spirit be the one who instructs and who encourages and takes the broken places, the sad places, the lonely places of our hearts and that you would be the one who binds up our broken hearts this morning and that you would be the one who fills us back up with hope in the places where we have known desperation. In the name of Jesus, that, that, that is our prayer this morning. I want to ask you to turn to a place in your Bible that maybe you haven't been to in a while. The book of 1 Kings, 1 Kings in chapter 17, 1 Kings chapter 17, and we'll, I'm going to start reading 
from the, the first verse in that chapter and read down into the main part of where I want us to look this morning in just a second. Desperation, desperation is not necessarily a bad thing. Desperation can lead to good results. It can take us to good places. And here's what I mean by that. And those of you who've walked a season of being desperate in your life, desperation can open us up. Desperation can open us up to some things we've never thought before. Open us up to some people that we thought we might never want to know. Desperation can open us up to some new ways of looking at things. Desperation can be a good thing. Desperation can get you where God needs for you to be, where God wants you to be. Desperately miserable in a job. Is that a fair statement? Desperately miserable. So as a result of trying to cope with the, the, the miserableness of that situation, you, you begin to open yourself up to other options, only to find that some way or another, in a crazy kind of way, that the Lord was the one who was stoking that desperation, evidently, because where I am now is where I wish I'd always have been. But I was stuck over here, and it took me being desperately miserable in order to get me to move in here. It can get you where God wants you to be. Here's also something vital to understand about desperation. God's power unleashed is often preceded by our desperation. God's power unleashed to us, through us, Upon us, God's power unleashed is often preceded by our desperation. Now, with that being said, go with me to 1 Kings 17, verse 1. Now, Elijah, the great prophet, the great prophet of old. Now, Elijah the Tishbite who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, Ahab the king of Israel, the northern kingdom. Israel has now been divided into two kingdoms after Solomon's death. And Ahab is the ruler now of the northern kingdom. As the Lord, Elijah says, as the Lord, the God, the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now he's saying, the Lord is going to limit and restrict rain on this land. It will be released, rain will be released when he instructs me to say it's time. And then the rains will come. The word of the Lord came to him saying, came to Elijah saying, go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith which is east of the Jordan. It shall be that you will drink of the brook 
And I have commanded, this is the Lord talking, I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and lived by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. Now look at verse six. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he would drink from the brook, three course meal, bread, meat, and water provided by the Lord. The servants, the wait staff for Elijah bringing the bread and the meat were scavenger birds. I made the mistake one time of likening these ravens to turkey buzzards. And I had a lady get so mad at me, I don't know if she's ever gotten over it. She was a raven lover. But the, but the ravens weren't out there cooking the bread, and they weren't out there skinning the meat and cooking the meat. They found it somewhere. Now, you would think to yourself, Lord, as smart as you are, with all the capabilities that you have, couldn't you have figured out a better way to feed your man than by turkey buzzards by scavenger birds. And now that's one question, but the other question is how in the world did Elijah have stomach to eat it when they brought it? But he didn't question it. And the Lord's provision was sufficient. Now that, that's just, that's, I just need to make the point there that sometimes we get to whining about the Lord's way of providing for us. Instead of rejoicing in the fact that miraculously, somehow, some way, it's still coming. We're still eating. We're still drinking. We're still being provided for. Now, this is Elijah. This is the one who would go on, and then John the Baptist, Jesus would say, one would come in the spirit and power of Elijah. And great man of God, he appeared along with Moses just before Jesus went to went to the cross on the Mount of Transfiguration recorded in the Gospels and three out of the four of the Gospels, Elijah, 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 this, this great man. And the Lord's providing for this great man in an unusual kind of way, in a way that could be looked upon as being distasteful, in a way that could be looked upon as being, is this all you've got, God? Is this the best you can do? but we don't find Elijah whining about it. We don't find Elijah complaining about it. We just find Elijah taking what was given to him and blessing God for the survival that that was providing for him. There are times when I think we need to be reminded of that. So whoever needs to hear that, just, just let it in and, and receive it. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning bread and meat in the evening, and he would drink from the brook. It happened after a while that the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. The drought was intensifying. Verse 8, then the word of the Lord came to him, came to Elijah, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, now watch these words carefully. The Lord speaking, behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Now the tense is past. 
I have provided, I have commanded. It's not I'm going to command or, or when you get there, I'm gonna talk to her, I'm gonna get her ready. It's past tense. I've already commanded a widow to provide for you there. Now, continue on. So he arose, went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please give me a little water in a jar that I may drink. As she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I'm gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Then Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you've said, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me. And afterward, you may make one for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. Now we don't know how long the pause was between the end of verse 14 and the start of verse 15. But 15 says, so she went and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household, meaning her son, ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. Amen. Now, what a story. What a story. That woman was desperate. She was desperate in the sense that she not only had herself to take care of, but more importantly to her, she had that young son to take care of. The drought had ravaged the fields. There, there was no more seed. There was nothing to be ground into flour, nothing left that she could at least buy. The oil to form it into some kind of a cake or tortilla or biscuit or whatever it was, she was down to just the very last bit of it. And as far as she could see, all she had was one more meal left. One more time over a supper table with that young son. No hope in a natural sense from any direction. She was desperate. Hope had left her. The desire was there, but the sense of expectation that it could happen, that had evaporated as she looked at her kitchen. No hope left. No hope left. Now, I don't know who you are, and I don't know what you're going through or what you may have been through, 
But there is a reason we're in this room, and there are reason folks are listening, listening over the, the Facebook and listening over these live things that, that are going on. There is a reason known to God that you're here in this room or you're tuned into what's going on this morning. And the reason being, somewhere in your life there is right now a place of desperation, a place where you've lost hope or you're losing hope. The, de the desire may still be there, but any kind of expectation that it could ever happen, that it could ever come to pass, has left you. And in the place of the loss of hope, there's this cavern of emptiness and cavern of hopelessness. But there's a word, there's a word, there's a word from the Lord to our hearts at that place. So here we go. Hope for the desperate. Number one, God has a plan. God has a plan. He chose you, he picked you out, he brought you into his family through the death of Jesus Christ for your sins and my sins. We came to know him as Savior and Lord. We're not a stranger at the Father's table because we're not a stranger in the Father's heart. That he has chosen to take responsibility, not just for our souls eternally, but for our lives even right now. You belong to him. You matter to him. What concerns you directly concerns him. And your father has a plan. God has a plan. We just sometimes we need to do like David did, like Jeremiah did. Sometimes we got to talk to ourselves. David would say, so why are you distressed and downcast within me? For I will yet hope in God. Got to talk to yourself. Sometimes we need to say to that desperate part within us, God has a plan. Okay, here we're going to go through some of the other parts of that. God has a plan. God has a plan that is at work right now. This woman didn't know it. The widow didn't know it. She didn't realize that as she looked at her kitchen and she looked at what wasn't there in the oil jar and what wasn't there where she kept the flour, and she wasn't aware that... that that there was the prophet named Elijah who was being sent her way. She wasn't aware at that point in time that the, that the Lord had told Elijah, I've already commanded a woman to take care of you. I've already commanded just any woman but a widow to take care of you. She didn't know that. She didn't know that there was a plan in place. She didn't know that there was a plan already working. God did. And as the days went by, the plan unfolded. Just because we don't see the plan, just because we haven't received from heaven all the bullet points to the plan, it doesn't mean there's not a plan. And it doesn't mean that nothing's going on. It doesn't mean that nothing's at work. Because it was at work. It was at work for her. And it is at work for you. God has a plan, 
and the plan is at work right now. The next thing is God has a plan that is unknown to us, unknown to you. I hinted at that just, just a moment ago, unknown. She, she could only see what she could see. But folks, the Lord doesn't have to tell us everything ahead of time. Isn't that a good thing, you know? We'd like to know some things, but it's great that he doesn't tell us everything. And just because we don't seem to know it doesn't mean that it isn't real, and it doesn't mean that it isn't intricate in its detail and complete in its assignment and formulation. Unknown to us, God has a plan that is at work right now. God has a plan that is unknown to us. God has a plan that is bigger than what we can see. Reality, when, when it is defined solely in terms of what is observable, measurable by us, reality, as we perceive it, can be an incomplete analysis of the situation. Reality to us has to do with the senses can have to do with our experiences in the past. But who is ultimately in charge of what is truly reality? It's the God we can't see. It's the God who has no limits. It's the God who makes his own laws. It's the God who if he runs out of something, he can just make some more. He's never met an obstacle that he couldn't go over through, under, or blow up. He's never met an enemy that could stand to his face. He's your father. He bought you with the blood of his own firstborn son, but he picked you out and chose you before you were ever in your mother's womb. He's wanted you all your life. He's got a plan. It's at work right now. It's unknown to you, but it's bigger than what you can see. All she could see taught her that she was weak, that taught her that she wasn't smart enough to figure this out. All that she could see taught her that her resources visibly were shrinking and disappearing. Reality to her brought her to the conclusion, one more meal with me and my boy, and death. But God's plan was bigger than what she could see. God's plan next is, God has a plan to take care of you. God has a plan to take care of you. Well, so I just want to read this little part again because I, I just, 
I'll just get happy feet every time I just work back through these these paths. I mean, look, look at this. This is a widow. She, she doesn't have a husband. We don't know where her family is. She's got a son looking to her, a young son looking up to her. Mom, what, what, where are we going to eat? All, all of those things. She, she's an unnamed widow. But she was handpicked by God for, with such an important role that she made the Bible. In her desperation, and in what transpired with her and through how she chose to follow the Lord, she made the Bible. People all over the world for almost countless centuries and generations of the church know about this woman. Amazing. God's plan to take care of her. As she was going to get it, going to get the cup, he called to her, verse 11, and said, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour, a little oil, gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we meet it and die. Then Elijah said, don't be afraid. Go do as you have said, but take Make me a little bread cake from it first. Bring it out to me. Afterward, you make, you, you, you may make one for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. Folks, listen, when God chooses to provide for you, when God chooses to make a way for you, when God's plan for you is that he's going to show you the miracle of how stuff doesn't have to run out. When he's looking at that little bit of oil and he's saying to the oil, keep producing, keep producing, keep producing. He's looked over at the, where the flower was kept, keep producing. Keep. It is a miracle as great that something continues on as though as it, as it would be if something was dropped out of heaven and she had, she had five bushels of, of meal ready to be ground into, into, into cornmeal or whatever they cooked with and had, had five gallons of, of vegetable oil dropped on her doorstep. That would have been a miracle, but what about this? What if every morning she got up and there hadn't been anything diminished out of what was in the bottom of that oil jar from the day before? And it happened the next day. And it happened the next day. And, it and she'd reach in there and feel the bottom of that and she'd get her hands and try to get all that off in the flour and get that work. And then, well, this is that, that's all there is in there. And then she goes back the next day and she's got something else to dip her hand into. What's the greater miracle? What's the greater miracle? There's no way that you can grade those miracles because they are the miracles of the power of the Lord, of the power of God, of the work of God in a life. And the blessing of just knowing that he's not limited 
in how he chooses to take care of us. He doesn't have to check a manual and say, well, now let's see if this has ever been done before and how would I make that work? He sees you and he knows you and he knows what or how to thrill you. He knows, as we say, he'll make your socks roll up and down inside your cowboy boots. He knows how to thrill you. And so what if he chooses for you to cause you in your hour of deepest desperation to realize as you move from this day into this day, I'm still here, I'm still sucking air, I'm still breathing, I've still got something to eat. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the provision of the extension of the visible, visual means one day after another. God has a plan. And he doesn't have to work your plan like he works somebody else's plan. But just know that he's got a plan. And you matter to him. You're the apple of his eye. You're chosen. He cares about you. And in the hour of your desperation, he knows exactly how to take care of you. And in the process, how to thrill you. Don't you imagine that lady enjoyed telling that story? I imagine she kept those two pots for all of her life. Right here. Power of God. Right here in my oil pot. Visual, manifested power of God causing that flower in that pot never to go empty. God has a plan to take care of you. He has a plan to take care of you. And his ways may be unusual. His ways may not be known to anybody in your family. In fact, Moses testified as the children of Israel came out of the across the, the, the desert and, they, and that they were ready to move into the land of promise and said, listen, you're, you're, you're God fed you with manna that your fathers didn't even know about. God took care of you in ways that nobody kin to you has ever experienced. But look at you right here. You're strong. You've multiplied. Your shoes didn't wear out. Clothing didn't wear out. Your feet hadn't gotten sore. 40 years in the wilderness, God's fed you. He's strengthened you. He's provided you. He's got a plan, and he's taken you into the land of promise. You're no longer going to be slaves. You'll have your own place. You'll have your own land. You'll have your own cities. Hope for the desperate. Hope for the desperate. Hope for the desperate. God has a plan. It's at work right now. The biggest parts, if not all of the parts, are unknown to you. It's a plan that is bigger than what you can see. God has a plan to take care of you. Here's the main point. Here's the main point. God has a plan to reveal himself to you. Not just to take care of you, not just to meet your needs, without you really knowing where it came from. Was it luck? 
Was it just the past of time? Was it just an area that I happened to be skilled at? Was it God has a way, folks, listen. God has a way in the places and times of our deepest desperation. He will choose those moments as the setting for us to get to know him in ways that we would not know him in any other setting. He will not waste the sufferings of his children. He will not waste the midnights crying yourself to sleep. God has a plan to take care of us, but also to make himself known to us. Now here's how he did it with this woman. As she was going to get it, verse 11, Elijah called to her and said, please bring me a piece of bread. Then she explains why she can't do that. Because she just barely has enough for her and her son to eat and then that's their last meal and they'll go die. But look at verse 13. Then Elijah said to her, do not fear. Do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake first, bring it out to me, and afterward you may make one for yourself. Verse 15, so she went and did according to the word of Elijah. In other words, she trusted. She trusted. All capital letters Massive font, the Lord your God delights in your trust in him. He, he loves it, not just when it's easy to trust him, but when against all odds of trusting him, we choose to trust him. When everything around us Everything in the natural, everything vocal, everything visual would seem to say, this is the last time, the last place that you would ever risk something by trusting God whom you can't see. The Lord so delights in trust because he knows that is the way that the, the blessings that he desires to give are conveyed to his children. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Those who would come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. His heart is to bless. His heart is a reward. But in the hour of our deepest and darkest desperation, when we could be looking in a thousand other different directions for it to be right then that it's all cooked down, that God, the only one that's worthy of my trust is you. And I'm risking everything to put my trust in you. He delights so much in trust that he will even dare us to trust. Dare us to, that's what this was. He, he, the, the woman had to make the choice. 
Elijah was speaking for the Lord. This is what you're to do. But the woman with her action had to choose out of her poverty, not out of her plenty, but out of her poverty, out of her desperation, she had to choose to trust him. And she chose to try. I'm, I'm wanting to say to somebody, I don't know who you are because I can't read minds, but I just feel like there's some folks in this room who are at this place. And if I could just come over to you and grab you by both shoulders and just say, oh, listen, trust him. Trust him. He will not fail you. He will not abandon you. He will not turn his back on you. Trust him. Whatever that looks like, in your situation, trust him, trust him, trust him. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah, she and he and her household ate for many days. What she learned about God in that setting was a timeless truth that would stand her in good stead long after this season of that kind of desperation had ended, long after Elijah had moved on to something else, long after the famine had ended. But all the days of her life and her son's life, they were going to need to know that God honors trusting him. So it doesn't matter if it's in a place of plenty. It doesn't matter if it's in a place of poverty. Trust him. Trust him. They learned that. They learned that. They learned that. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me, the Lord's saying. Trust me. Trust me. Do you hear that? Will we receive that? Trust me, trust me. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, spilling over into your lap. God honors, he blesses, provision is released along the corridor of our trusting him by giving out of our poverty. All right, so you say, well, it's maybe not financial, but, but maybe, maybe you're lonely. Maybe you feel like you don't have a friend. You don't have a, anybody who cares for your soul. And the loneliness of that has created a desperation in your heart. So what if out of that poverty, in that place of a poverty of friends, a poverty even of family, what if the Lord would say, trust me, and you be a friend. Trust me, and out of the place that you don't have, where you don't have anything to give, you think, you give compassion. You give kindness. You give a friendship. And then watch what happens. I mean, the, the Lord sent his word through Elijah, and the word healed this woman. 
heal the woman in the sense of, here's what you do. Here's how you step out of this place of desperation. You take out of your poverty, not out of your plenty, but out of your poverty. And you give out of your poverty to the Lord and you watch what he'll do. You know? I looked into the faces of some sharp, bright, young men yesterday morning around a breakfast table out in the middle of nowhere. And I said to them, I have one word of financial advice to give to you. I'm not a banker, I'm not a CPA, but I know this to be true. You set the Lord at the center of your personal finances by giving to him what is his off the first of that which comes to you, not any crumbs, not any leftovers, not, oh, by the way, God, let me flip you a quarter, but you honor God. I said it about like that too. You, you honor God out of the first of that which he blesses you with, and you watch what he will do throughout your lifetime with your finances. You watch it. His heart is to bless. His heart is to replenish. His heart is to restore. But in the process of all of that, if those things happen and yet we don't know, we're not connected with his heart, we don't know how much he loves us. We don't know the things that bless him so we can continue to bless him and walk in his love. Then it's a step missed. But when we're at the place like this woman, desperate, open to anything, most anything, and then here comes an instruction from the Lord, give to me first. Not last, not if you have anything left over, not if all the other bills are paid. You, you, give, you give to me first. And then you take care of yourself with the rest of things. And then you watch what will happen. It wasn't an explosion. Do you see? It wasn't a lightning bolt. It wasn't a great big thud and there was a sea container with 4,000 pounds of everything she could need all in one bunch. It wasn't that kind of a deal. It was day by day, morning by morning, his supply stayed, his supply was replenished, and she knew where it came from. She knew who was doing it, and he got all the glory and all the praise. And for the rest of her life, that lesson from that season of desperation surely must have remained etched in the granite of her heart. Trust him. Honor the Lord and he will honor you. Not when everything is smooth and not when everything is easy and not when everything is plentiful, but especially in the places of poverty especially at the place of desperation. Let the true color of your heart shine, man. Don't have as much to give as I would have had a million dollars cash in the bank. She had a, 
She had oil and enough for two or three tortillas, and that was it. But out of that, oh my goodness, she honored him. And there was enough in the way she did it that blessed heaven and heaven released provision. All right, one last verse, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you alone. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Well, actually, there are four verses, and then I'll go sit down. Mark chapter 12, 41. And he, Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury in Jerusalem, in the temple, where the money, one of the places where the money or the offerings were collected. Jesus, God in the flesh, Jesus, the creator God, Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus. But she out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. Okay, now you say, well, Jesus, if you knew that about that woman, why did you let her do it? You're God. Why didn't you go over there and rip the top off of that, that, that canister where all that money was going in and just get up three or four scoops a handful and take it over there and put it in her purse? If you knew everything she had given away was all that she had to live on. Now she, who is a widow indeed, Paul said, and who has been left alone, has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. Jesus knew that what the woman was giving was a pure act and expression of trust in God. Even if it meant that in a measurable sense, earthly sense, she had nothing left. <laughs> but he knew that because her trust was in the Lord, her resources were unlimited. That the God who received the praise from that kind of sacrifice, that kind of gift of trust, absolutely would rend the heavens and come down and meet that widow's need, whatever it was. The applause of heaven rested 
on the widow giving two cents. And the resources of heaven opened up for a widow in great desperation who would honor the Lord, would trust the Lord out of her poverty. Folks, listen, don't you start trying to cut a deal with God that I'll start honoring you, Lord, when I get a better job. You may never see it. I'm not trying to be depressing here. But the Lord will say, if you, you be faithful in the small things, and I will make you faithful in the greater things. We have no right to whine. We have no right to belly. God, why have you given me more? Why have you given more? Why are things so tight if we're still spending it all on ourselves and our stuff? The first 10% belongs to him. Whether we have anything to, if there's no income, there's no 10%. But where there's income, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not nobody said that she's going to be here, hammer it, or he's going to be here, lay into him. Nobody said that. But I'm telling you, with the authority that I believe is in the Word of God, if you want to know freedom, if you want to know the measure of the Lord's release, honor God. Honor God first in the place where you need the honor to be seen most and the, the, the response to be most. If it's marriage, honor him in your marriage. Honor him in your marriage. If it's finances, honor him in your finances. And don't walk out, oh, he wasn't talking to me. Well, if the shoe fits, slap it on, big boy. You too, ma'am. If the shoe fits. I don't, I'm really not mad at anybody. I just, I just feel that so strong. I feel like some of us are just, we're, we're, we're struggling needlessly. We're fretting needlessly. And the solution to it is just trust the Lord. Start honoring the Lord in the way that he says. And watch the windows of heaven open and provision come. And again, it may not be lump sums. It may not be you get promoted to this, that, or the other, and all this stuff. To, it, it may be like this. Stuff doesn't run out. It lasts. Instead of spending all your money on maintenance, stuff lasts. And when we're making the decision to trust him, folks, you know where it's coming from. Then we're not stupid enough to say, well, I worked real hard. That's why I got this. You say, no, I didn't do it. I've been doing that all along and nothing happened. But when I made this decision to trust the Lord out of my poverty with that which he calls for, and I've begun to see a measurable difference, it's got to be him. And because it's him responding to my response to him, I know he loves me. I don't have to wonder. I know he loves me because I'm watching him take care of me and I'm watching him take care of me and my kids and I'm watching his goodness. That was what the lady experienced. Hope for the desperate. Chief point, God has a plan. So we just need to get in on and stay in 
God's plan.